Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. This is not ESV, is it? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We love to celebrate as Australians, don't we? Uh, I didn't particularly appreciate the celebration of Queensland on Wednesday night, but uh, that's the way we have it. (laughs) Anything that will warrant a party or a celebration we'll be into. We're known worldwide for our fireworks. Every time that there's any any kind of significant event whatsoever, we bring out the fireworks. We won't have anything to do with the royals whatsoever. We'll even have a referendum to try to get rid of the monarchy, but we'll put on a great fireworks display and we'll designate a public holiday in celebration of the monarch's birthday. We're famous for our barbecue celebrations. We over-celebrate sporting victories, that's for sure. The late Prime Minister Bob Hawke campaigned for everyone to have the morning off work because we won a boat race. Soccer fans go nuts because their team took the most dives that you possibly can get to, win, to have a penalty to win the game. So therefore, we all celebrate. We even celebrate the losses. If somebody beats the Aussies in a sporting match, and they eventually get to the finals and they lose, we all celebrate that they lost. How dare they knock the Aussies out of the competition? Sadly, some people celebrate their sinfulness. But let me say, people go, no holds barred. And the most doing the most outrageous things to celebrate. Living at Newcastle, it showed me that when the Knights were uh, in the grand final in 2001, which they won, by the way. We'll just put that out. They painted their faces, they painted their houses, cars. And Susan even reminded me yesterday that they even painted a goat. They yell at the top of their lungs. They wear clothes that you'd never be seen in because in celebration, fashion fashion sense just goes straight out the door. 
In celebration, we eat more in one night than we do in a week. Some people drink more, so they're not celebrating anymore. A huge excuse to hug somebody or to kiss somebody. But when it comes to Christian celebrating, many people are rejoicing on the inside. There are times where it might appear that we've been baptised in lemon juice into a life of suffering. We can sing songs like, Blessed be the name of your Lord, where we sing, we stand and lift up our hands, but we're lifting up our spiritual hands, I'm sure. Many people feel so uncomfortable to celebrate their Lord. They have a great ability to show massive celebration in nearly every area of life. But in Christian life, sometimes people can't celebrate. Sometimes it's the fear of God, what does he think? Some other times it's the fear of associating ourselves with those who are more outgoing Christians. Sometimes it's fear of ourselves, what would we think? What would other thinkers think about me? Sometimes it's a legitimate fear of genuineness or authenticity. I mean, many people, many sporting fans go out and celebrate when they have absolutely no interest at all in the game or the sport that's being celebrated. Many people celebrate Christmas but have no interest in Christ at all. To ease the guilt, or they call it happy holidays. At the heist this morning, one thing is very certain is that we're a diverse group of people. And in all sorts of different ways, particularly when it comes to celebration of Jesus, you'll find diversity in churches. And I found diversity in or every church that I've been pastor at. At Narrabeen, uh, which is a larger church than the Heights, uh, we had three different sections. We had the ones, the section on the left-hand side, because preaching and singing, you know what's going on. They all would raise their hands. In the middle here, they kind of do the little bit of kind of the Baptist thing. And then on the other side, it's just hands in pockets. Now, I'm not saying that's even celebrating, because I really, what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking at all about what we do in worship songs. I'm talking about how we celebrate Jesus in all our life how we give to him in everything we do. How do we celebrate? How do we rejoice? How do we boast in Jesus? Our expression in all of our life, both personally and corporately, whatever it is like, will be a response to how we understand the reasons for our celebration. And as we've looked over the past weeks, as Christians, we have great cause to celebrate or rejoice or boast, as Romans puts it in verses 2 and 3. Now, just to point out there that Tony read the wrong version. Uh, it is a good habit to get into if you're studying the Scriptures to have several versions in front of you. If you have ESV, if you have NIV, if you have NLT, or if you have King James or New King James Version, whatever it might be, because then you'll see the differences in the interpretations of the passage. So you have one that would talk about celebration, one that would, would label it as rejoicing, other would label it as boasting. I think they all mean the same things. It's like, my goodness, our God is good and we are going to absolutely be in, beside ourselves of how we can either spread the word, how we can tell the word, how we can show people the gladness and goodness that is in our hearts uh, in, in celebration. This is what it says in verse 2 and 3. Through him, we have, and this is ESV, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We rejoice. We boast. We celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, 
But we rejoice, same word, celebrate, or we boast in our sufferings. Not boast as in, I'm going through suffering. Boast as in, it's a privilege as a Christian to be where we're at, where we're standing. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, etc., 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 etc. We'll notice, though, that in these passages, that it's not an imperative. Imperatives in Romans don't happen until chapter 6. So we go through five chapters of Paul just telling us who we are as Christians, why we've been saved, why we're doing that. If you don't know what an imperative is, basically it means that it's a command. We're not commanded to do anything. But yet Paul talks about here in verses 2 and 3, and we rejoice. Not, and you ought to rejoice. Well, you better get out there or you better make it your habit to. It's like because of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and as we get into 5, we will rejoice. It will be part of our character. The perseverance produces character, and part of the character is we rejoice in the hope and the peace that we have in Jesus. That's what God's working out in your life, what he's doing in your life. He builds and builds the case that we stand in that Jesus is worth celebrating just in who he is and what he's done. Full stop. Not what he's done for me, what he's done for this world, what he's done in the whole story of salvation, what he's done in obedience to his father. We rejoice and we boast. We need to know why we do that. And first of all, we rejoice in our present position, verses 1 and 2. Let's read. Therefore, which means all the stuff that happened in chapters 1 to 4, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. God has dealt with our past. He meets us in the present and he assures us of the future. He's dealt with our past in that we are justified and we've looked at that over the past weeks. If you want to get into some good good listening, go to our podcast, any podcast system that you have, you'll find us on it and uh, and you will see a great sermon by Chris and other other messages where, where it's pronounced, where we have we're pronounced not guilty, we're being set free, we're redeemed, we're no longer slaves to sin, we're not no longer bound by the penalty of sin. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Remember that word, Scrabble, propitiation? Is anyone used in Scrabble? No. Through faith in that, not through your faith, through faith in what God has done is where we stand and where we celebrate in the finished work of Jesus. Amen? And that brings us peace with God. Now, you can have peace in a couple of different ways, can't you? Like You can have peace with your next-door neighbour if you build a six-foot-high fence and you never see them. You can block out the noise of the dog. They can have the big barbecue party in the backyard and you can block out and you can have... They even made it so you don't even have slats in fence anymore. You haven't got the colour bond on the outside. So you just put that... You can have peace like that. Or you can be at peace with your neighbour without any fence. In Canada, you have to be because there's no fences. 
Because what happens is if you have a fence and the, when the snow blows, not if the snow blows, like when it blows, uh, it, will use, it will be like a snow fence that you see down sometimes in, in, in our snow fields where the snow hits, it falls on the other side and you end up with these massive snow drifts everywhere. So in order that you don't block out the neighbour's driveway and all the rest of it, basically there's no fences in sometimes front yard or backyard. just goes all the way through so that there's no uh, block that happens. But that means that you have to talk to your neighbour. Means that you're sitting on the back, uh, doing the barbecue thing in minus five, and you say, "Hi, how are you going?" And you're forced to talk to people. That's how you can have peace as well. God has brought down the fences that that we have built through our life, and the fences are that we're sinful people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, and we have a barrier between us and God. And Jesus, through the cross, has knocked those barriers down so that we are able to have full access, full conversation with God, or in, in, in a big word, we commune with God. We connect with him. And it is in only by God's grace that we're able to do that. We haven't knocked the barriers down. People try. People try through religion to knock it down. People try through living a good life to knock it down. But it's only through God's grace that we are standing where we are standing. We rejoice in that, in that assurance, the hope that we have, not striving to be any of those things, not striving to make ourselves not guilty because we are guilty, not striving to make ourselves free because we already are free, not striving to satisfy the wrath of God by somehow beating up upon ourselves in penitence, but rather... We stand in the grace of God, in what he has done, not we have, what we have done. It's so hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to do that even as Christians. We looked at this week, uh, I looked at this week, a, um, not you, <laughs> I looked at this week uh, a, a podcast uh, and, and listened to it and, and thought, yeah, how true is that? That... As Christians, we, we stand in God's grace, but our world tries to strive to make themselves right with God. And sometimes we can find ourselves doing that too. Like, I'll get to heaven. Why will you be in heaven? Well, I've been a good person. I've been a relatively good person. I spoke about that on Fuse on Friday night, that the Simpsons bring it about that, like Homer says, oh, I've been a good person. I'll stand there. And then God puts his arm. Yes, you have. And you walk along. And that's kind of the way it goes. And other people through religious zeal try to build themselves up, but not so much the, the, the goodness, moral convic conviction, but rather the religious conviction and get up, get up there. But Aussies, we don't even have that. We have actually that death will get you right with God. When you die, you'll be right with God. You ever heard it before? Oh, they're looking down on me. They've died and I'm sure that they're with me right now. Well, no. It's like when we die, we get to heaven, we look down upon the people on, he on earth and we either sympathise with them or walk with them. That's Australian. Or maybe it's worldwide, but it's very much Australian, where when you die, you have solved all the problems. You're now with God. You don't have to do anything in life. You're dead, you're with God, and they'll be with me. They'll walk with me right throughout my life. I can feel their presence right here, right now. No, you can't. They are either with God or not. 
But we are with God. And we have the assurance of that future hope that we have in God. Hope's mentioned over and over again. In fact, so much so that when you look at ESV, it talks about the peace that we have through faith. And if you look at NIV, it has the label peace and hope. That's the, the, uh, the block of that, that comes in. And hope beyond those type of things. Hope beyond anxiety and uncertainty. And we live in a world of uncertainty, don't we? So much so that people have to make up those things. Like when we die, we're always in heaven looking down upon the earth. So much so that I'll be right because I've, I've been a good religious person. In our society, though, we really have uncertainty about what's happening in the future. We, we have, we're anxious for it to come about. I'm not anxious to die. I don't think you are too. Paul wasn't either. But he knew when that was going to happen, where he was going to be. In our society, we have a hurry up and wait kind of attitude. We want everything to happen, but we want to be patient in doing it. We want for us to die and, and be with, with God, but we want to, uh, God to slow down so we live life on this earth. Results of any kind, we want hurry up and wait. Whether it's medical things, whether it's exam results, you'll sit there and sweat it out, man. When you reached year 12, there used to be a gap where they used to give out the HSC the day after New Year's. And people were just beside themselves and they changed that. So I ran um, HSC study camps where, let me tell you, people were sweating it all the way up the time, just waiting for the results. We want it now. And if we were sure of the outcome, we wouldn't actually care whether it was going to happen now or not, would you? Like, that's the value of having early entrance into university. It doesn't really matter what you get, although you've got to work really hard. You're going to get there anyway. If the doctor says, I'm sure it's nothing. Like, I'm sure Michelle has done that before. And people at home go, start off going, yes, it's just nothing. I'm, I'm, she's sure that it's nothing. It's not going to be anything. And then as time goes on, as you wait for the week for the results to get back, you come to about day four or five and you sit there and think to yourself, maybe it's not nothing. Why has it been so long? Maybe Shouldn't she just phone me up and just tell me that, 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 it's, uh, that it's nothing to happen? Our mind starts to think and uncertainty sets in. And verse 9 gives us the absolute confidence of celebration that what we hope for in Jesus has already happened. See, from him raising from the dead, dying on the cross, being satis satisfying the wrath of God as God raised Jesus from the dead in satisfaction of the wrath that has been paid, now is alive, seated with God, reigning on the throne, and we're seated with him, we have a sure and certain hope of being with God forever. Since therefore, since therefore we have now been justified, not if we've been, we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by, saved by him from the wrath of God. How much more? I don't know whether you've been on a holiday before where you've looked at the brochures and you've got to the destination and you found it's not quite like the brochures have ever looked. It really happens with every single hotel room that you've ever seen. You know, you walk in there and you go, well, this might have been a picture of when they first renovated, but it's certainly not a picture of it now. 
But there are times, aren't there, when you go on a holiday where you are just blown away by what you see. You look at the brochure, you look at everything that's going on, you look at the destination you're getting to, and you just can't imagine anything more beautiful than what you were seeing, and nothing in print could ever make that look like that. Christ has risen. He lives with us and through us. But how much more is heaven going to be? If that doesn't make you celebrate, nothing will. If we're living with Christ now and we are so at peace with God, walking with God in celebration of our Christian life and walking within, how much more is it going to be seeing him face to face? We only know what Paul says, a picture dim, but soon we'll know it completely as we stand with him. The hope that we have is not a hope that we might get there, that somehow God will be pleased with our life and we have the uncertainty and disappointment of times when we fail God, wondering whether he's ever going to allow us to be with him. Now we have Jesus. How much more? Therefore, the presence of Jesus will affect our life. We will rejoice in who we are in Jesus. But we won't rejoice when we sin. Verses 3 to 5 talks about that. This may not have the same fireworks display, but it has an inner rejoicing of peace. We live in a world that's far from what God intended it to be, and in this world we will have suffering. We rejoice knowing that in this suffering, knowing that these things that we're going through is a road that we're travelling on and is not the destination that we're getting to. In heaven, there is no more suffering, there's no more tears, there's no more mourning, there is no more death. We suffer now with the hope of the future. And in that hope that we stand and persevere in, it produces a character. What's the character that it produces? Well, it produces hope, and that's part of the character that we have, but also produces rejoicing in hope and boasting in God that we're going to be at the place where Christ is. Confidence. Why? Because he's loving And we know that Jesus is in control. That's what peace talks about. It says, you'll have a peace that passes all understanding. Why is it beyond our understanding? Because we're not with Christ right now. But Christ is walking with us through his spirit that gives us the assurance that God is in control of our life no matter what's going on. And that our future is secure and sure in him. It's not optimism, fake optimism but rather it's an assurance of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit puts upon us. The key is verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The power of the Holy Spirit not only produces gifts in our life and things in which God can use and comfort with inside of us, but the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to see beyond here and into the future where God has assured us of life with him. He dwells in every believer, guiding and empowering us, testifying to us about our adoption as children of God and gives us hope or instills hope in our heart 
as he provides assurance of the future, a future inheritance in him. He's like that coach that says, if you keep on running, you'll get to the top. You run in pairs, don't you, a lot of people? If you run by yourself, well then, I guess something in voice inside of you has got to keep on saying, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. But if you... (coughs) (coughs) If you run in pairs, you've got the person, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, keep on pushing it, keep on going. I'm sure that... John Hill, when he's riding bikes, people beside him says, we need to get up this hill. We need to get... I, I don't, can't imagine being at the bottom of the gorge trying to get up the top, top, top of the gorge. It's hard enough in a car. But on a bike, you're going to sit there and go, keep on going. We're almost there. We're almost, almost, almost. And then eventually it's there. And I mean, we're not masochists. We don't want to go through life suffering. We're not saying, oh, bring it on. It's not part of my cry, and it's pretty sure it's not part of yours. I'd much rather probably not grow in character than go through the suffering that you go through. But if you go through it and you go through it with Jesus, then perseverance will produce character in your life, and that character will lead to hope. And that hope will be a sure hope that you have in Jesus because the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about how God's at work in your life. This is hope. It does not disappoint because God loves us. Of course, he's given us the Holy Spirit. We'll fill our hearts with love. The work of the Holy Spirit is transformative. There's no doubt about it. He reminds us in Romans over and over again about the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God. He emphasises that God's work together with the whole, as the Holy Spirit emphasises that as God works in our lives for those he loves and is called according to his promises, that there's a hope that will be given to us. C.S. Lewis says this about if you're struggling and you're going through a difficult times, says God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And sometimes what I need, you know, like I'm watching television and Susan's talking to me or asking me questions. <clears throat> I've got to, this is a confession time. I'm watching it, watching it, watching it. And then eventually she will raise her voice a little bit, not yell at me, she doesn't do that. Raise her voice a little bit. Don't you hear me? What? God shouts at me because I'm deaf. And I'll hear the, world, the, cry, the cries of this world and the cries of suffering and the disappointment and the, the disillusionment and the, sometimes the, the heartache that people are going through never points to God is in control. And sometimes in my life it's the same. And I need for him to shout in my suffering so that I'll hear him and I'll know that he is in control. The last thing is that we rejoice in our spiritual possessions, and that is, uh, one is that, that God is uh, given us the Holy Spirit. But he goes on just in the, the verses to follow. He talks about how we, what we have now, what we have been saved from, has been given to us by Adam. Human need has been brought about by one man, but salvation and rejoicing has been brought about by 
one other, and that's Jesus. The one man that's brought about our greatest need is Adam. Who we are, sinners, ungodly, powerless, we're enemies, we're told. What we did in, in doing what is wrong and, uh, and not doing what is right, where we're heading towards the wrath of God, has all been brought about by one man, and that is Adam. But it's been destruct or destroyed and it's been replaced and it's this great exchange that we have where one man has brought about new life in him. Loved while still sinners. Died for and pronounced not guilty, not deserving it. Saved from his wrath when what we deserve is the penalty of God. Saved by his life as he deals with us just as we are and just as we're walking. We rejoice in God's presence. We absolutely rejoice in how he's dealt with our past. And we look forward to a blessed future with him. But more than that, verse 11 says, more than that. It's like, here comes the steak knives that we bought. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. The fences have come down, people. I rejoice with you. You rejoice with me. We rejoice with Jesus as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're living in one household. We're together joined as one. How will we celebrate? What will we do? How do you celebrate? It's really between you and God. I'm not, certainly not going to tell you how you celebrate and how you shouldn't celebrate. If you, I've stood in many, many conferences right next to Susan and thought, this is my wife. She's... But I celebrate also with her when she gives so generously. When she has a compassion on her students. When she cries over this heartache and suffering that's going on in life. I say that because Susan's not sitting there. That's rejoicing too. How do you rejoice? There are some biblical principles that, that govern both private and corporate celebrations, both appropriate in reverence. He says, be still and know that I am God. There are times when it's not appropriate to paint your face in celebration. I'm pretty sure that Chris is not over there, best man at the wedding. What, what's the name of the people he's going over? Married, do you know? Don't know. Whatever their names are, on ya! Bob and Jenny painted, their, painted his face in, in German colours. I, I don't think so. But there's other times in a wedding celebration, isn't there, where we do celebrate pretty outrageously, where we, we decorate the couple's car as they go off to their honeymoon with all sorts of junk that's going to make as much noise as possible. There's times when, in reverence, you'll sit before God, maybe even lay flat on your face before God, maybe sit on top of a hill overlooking the beach like I did many, many times at, over Avalon and just be in awe of God. Maybe for you it's looking over the gorge or wherever your place is where you're still and knowing that he is God and he loves you. There's other times though, isn't there, 
where the fireworks go off. There's times where you are just in awe of God. And I'm not to question how you do it. And you're not to question how I do it. But we're to rejoice with each other. And we're to be glad in him that not only has he dealt with everyone's past who are Christians, that he stands with us and walks with us every second of the day. And we're to celebrate of the great hope we have in him. And we're to remind each other of that. And when I sit beside Susan or sit beside others or Quita or others who are more outgoing than I am because I sit there and go, I hope they can see that I'm just excited too. Might not show it. Then again, I might. I yell and sing at the top of my lungs going down the F1. I don't know what your expression of celebration and rejoicing and boasting in God is. But I know that if it's from the heart, that authentic celebration, authentic rejoicing and boasting in God is boasting in the great hope we have of a sure future and the peace that we share with each other right here now walking on this earth. Let's pray. Lord, we're not commanded to rejoice. We're just, it's just from Paul, it's just like an assumption that we wouldn't. We've gone through over the, over the weeks, Lord, how you have pronounced us not guilty, free, redeemed from our fallen self. As one man brought slavery into this world, we have been freed by you. We no longer have to be in fear of your rightful and appropriate wrath upon our sin, but rather we stand with you taking that penalty upon yourself. How we celebrate. How we are in awe of that. Help us, Lord, to listen to you and to, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, almost in reckless abandon, allow ourselves to be governed by you so that we will celebrate and help us to be beside others and celebrate together as we do that as church. We pray this in your name. Amen.